Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, we recognize that so much of what it says is difficult for us to understand without the help of your Holy Spirit. And some parts of your word are very difficult for us to understand. So Lord, we pray that you may give us your Holy Spirit in abundance this morning. May he illuminate our minds as we come to a part of your word that is often open to misinterpretation. And may you be with me. May I declare what is truth this morning. May I not speak error here, but may Christ be exalted this morning and not belittled. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think we've all misunderstood people at different points in our lives and made a wrong conclusion from something that they've been saying. Even just this week, my two children were having a, what we call it, a disagreement um, about something. One of them was saying, it's my mouse. And the other one was saying, no, it's my mouse. And I saw that my son Joshua, who's four years old, was holding a Mickey Mouse DVD. And it was going back and forth, my mouse, no, my mouse. And I stepped in and said that thing that I usually say, it's not either of your mouses, well, mouse, it is my mouse and you get to use it. That's the case for pretty much every toy in the house. The bedroom, of course, is not Joshua's bedroom. It's my bedroom. He just gets to live in it. And it's the same with Philippa. It's not her room. She can speak of it in that sense. But ultimately, it's my room and she gets to live in it. Same with the beds, same with the toys, and same with the DVDs. They're my DVDs, even though I don't watch Mickey Mouse. They're my DVDs and they just get to use it. And at that point when I said, it's my DVD, you just get to use it, Pippa burst into tears and she held up her mini mouse that she had in her hands and said, my mouse. And so all this time she'd been talking about a little plush toy, Joshua had been talking about a DVD and I'd stepped in and tried to solve the problem but completely misunderstood. And here Pippa, my little two-year-old girl, thought I was going to snatch her Minnie Mouse toy, her little plush toy, off her and take it away because really it's Daddy's Minnie Mouse toy. We often misunderstand people. We hear some words and we jump to a wrong conclusion. When all along their words are perfectly right and true, it's just our understanding of those words that is wrong. And this morning that's good for us to bear in mind as we come to a text in Scripture that is difficult for us to understand because we can jump to a wrong conclusion quite easily as we look at it. The text is from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 through to verse 10. If you've got a black church Bible, I encourage you to have it open before you and open it up to page 1187 and we'll be looking at verse 8 of chapter 5. So that's little number 8 and then verse 9, and then verse 10. And the reason this is a difficult text for people to understand is because of what it says about Jesus Christ. And there's two things in particular that it says about Jesus Christ that people get confused about. One is there in verse 8, and it's about learning obedience. It says there in verse 8, Although he, that is Jesus, was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And then the other thing is in verse 9, it says, And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal knowledge, uh, eternal salvation. What is the confusion about? Well, people see these two statements, learned obedience and made perfect. And they think, what is that saying about Jesus Christ? Is that saying that Jesus was previously disobedient? 
if he then had to learn obedience, just like I see with my own children, they have to learn obedience. And why do I know they have to learn obedience? Because I see the disobedience in their lives. Is that, is, is that what this author is saying about Jesus Christ, that Jesus was a disobedient person and then he had to learn obedience? And then when it says he was once made perfect, does that mean that Jesus was imperfect at one point and then had to be made perfect? And if you know anything about Christianity, alarm bells are going off in your minds once you start to hear those kinds of things. You know that one of the great doctrines of Christianity is that Jesus Christ is always obedient. He has never sinned. He has never done anything wrong. And so for someone to say that he needs to learn obedience seems to be wrong. And this part of Scripture seems to be teaching something that is the exact opposite of what other parts of Scripture teach. And you know that Jesus is perfect, if you know anything about Christianity and what it teaches. And so this part of Scripture then starts to seem like it's teaching something contrary to what the rest of Scripture teaches about Jesus Christ. But I think the author knows that you're going to start to jump to that wrong conclusion. He, and we've got to remember that this author of Hebrews, we don't really know who he, he was who wrote the book of Hebrews, that he has been affirming that Jesus Christ is indeed a great person and superior to every other person and creation in this world. And we've seen that again and again as we've slowly worked through this book. We haven't just landed here at Hebrews chapter 5. We've been slowly working through this book and seen again and again that Jesus Christ is affirmed by the author of this book to be this great person. We've seen that he's superior to angels in chapter 1. And superior to Moses, superior to Joshua, superior to Aaron, all big wigs, can I say that, about uh, in Israelite history. All the big shots, Jesus is superior to them, even superior to angels. He spends quite a lot of time developing that. And the author has also told us something quite remarkable about Jesus Christ as well, again and again, and that is that Jesus is God's son. God's one and only Son. We've seen that quite a few times in chapter 1. Jesus is called the Son of God five times. And then in chapter 3 and chapter 4, he's again affirmed as the Son of God. And even back here in chapter 5, verse 5, we read that God said to him, that is Jesus, You are my Son, today I have become your Father. He has affirmed the Sonship of Jesus Christ again and again. And so he is saying quite clearly, the author of Hebrews, that Jesus is indeed a great person. He is the greatest of all beings. He is the Son of God. And I think the author knows that you've heard all that and now I'm going to say some things to you which are going to be hard for you to understand but I want you to keep that in mind that I affirm the sonship of Jesus Christ. How do I know he, he's aware of that? Well, what he says at the beginning of verse 8 what does he say at the beginning of verse 8? Although he was a son, although Jesus was a son. 
Now, I'm not a fan of the English translation there. Although he was a son, it starts to make it seem like he was just a son in general. The Holman uh, translation actually inserts the word God's son there to try and really bring that out. They actually insert the word God in. It's not there in the Greek original. But they insert it there so that you can get what the author is saying. Jesus is God's son. Although Jesus is God's son, which I've affirmed just a couple of verses earlier and again and again in this book, I'm now going to say something remarkable to you. He is God's son. Keep that in mind, he says. But he also learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. So the author preempts, I think, this wrong conclusion that we might take by putting there, although he was God's son. And now I'm going to say a few things that are a bit puzzling for you. So... If Jesus is perfect and Jesus didn't, he hasn't been disobedient, then what is this author trying to say by saying that he needed to learn obedience and be made perfect? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. That was a bit of a long introduction for you. But that brings me to my first main point this morning while we look at this subject. My first main point is that Jesus learned obedience by experience. Jesus learned obedience by experience. If you want to follow my main points, they're there on the back of the church bulletin. And the first is that Jesus learned obedience by experience. Now, Jesus, we must affirm, had definitely done the Lord's will in the past. He has always been obedient, as I said before. But Jesus had not experienced obedience to God in the way he was instructed to do on earth previously. When we think about it, it makes sense. To know how to be obedient is different from actually being obedient. To know how to be obedient is different from actually being obedient. You can give a child an instruction and they know what you have required of them. With our children, we have lots of instructions for them. One of them is a regular one that it is when you finish eating, you have to take your plate and put it in the sink. Now, I can say that to one of them. They will know what I'm asking of them. But they don't know ultimately what I ask of them until until they actually do it. And you see that the first few times that we teach our children to do something, we have to actually bring them through it, and they do it, and then they understand what it means to obey Dad and his instruction. And it's the same with Jesus Christ. Jesus knew what the Father wanted from him. But he hadn't actually experienced doing it. And so when he did do the Father's will, he learned obedience. He learned what it was to obedience because he now fully comprehended it because he'd actually done it. So what was it that Jesus had to learn obedience for? What was the instruction that God had given him to do? Well, God gave him a lot of instructions. God the Father gave him a lot of instructions of what to do. But one in particular was the suffering he experienced at the cross. And we see that what's in view here in verse 8, as we read, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. From what he suffered. He learned what it was to suffer by actually suffering, going through the experience of suffering. Now, that's not to say that Jesus didn't know anything about suffering prior to the cross or know anything about what the cross would entail before he actually went there. 
We know Jesus knew something about what it would entail because of uh, the rest of the New Testament where we read about his anguish as he's going to the cross. But then even just back in a few verses, back verse 7, just one verse prior, we've seen that Jesus Christ knew what it was to go to the cross somewhat. It says there in verse 7, little number 7 on page 1187, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Jesus uttered loud cries and tears. Why? Because he knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to suffer a terrible death and suffer God's wrath on the cross for sin. He knew something of what it would mean to obey God and go to the cross. But he didn't know fully what it meant until he actually did it, until he actually experienced the suffering that the cross entailed. And so Jesus learned obedience by actually going to the cross and experiencing the cross in all its suffering. So Jesus learned obedience by experiencing what it meant to to obey. But what does it mean then that Jesus was made perfect? What does it mean in verse 9 that he was made perfect? I might have been able to tell you that, yes, Jesus wasn't disobedient. In fact, he learned obedience through experience. But what about this whole idea of made perfect? Does that mean that Jesus was imperfect at some point? Well, that brings me to my second main point this morning. Jesus learned obedience by experience and so was perfected for his roles. Jesus learned obedience by experience and so was perfected for his roles. When Jesus went through that intense suffering of the cross, it was qualifying Jesus for his roles, for the offices that he would do, for the things that he would be qualified for. And so... We've got to remember that with even our own jobs. Practical knowledge of a job doesn't make you perfect for that job. Usually there's some practical work that has to be done before you're fully qualified to do that job. We see that all the time with interns and students. I, when I was training for, to be a podiatrist, I cut and many toenails, chopped off lots of corns, helped a lot of people with different foot ailments long before I was a podiatrist. I had to experience helping people before I was qualified, made perfect for the role of a podiatrist. And we see that with all professions, many professions. Is a sailor a person who knows all about sailing but has never actually been in a boat? No, you would say that's ridiculous. A sailor is a person who has actually sailed a boat. And so it is with Jesus Christ. He knew what it meant to do his roles. But he was perfected for them by actually doing what was required at the cross. So what was Jesus perfected to do? What were his roles? Well, the author of Hebrews tells us. Verse 9, it says, And once made perfect, he became two things. Number one, the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. What was Jesus' role? One of his... His offices to perform, it was to become the source of eternal salvation. One of the old translations, the King James translation, has author here, the author of salvation. I think that confuses us a bit, but it gives us an idea of a role. But the source makes sense to us. 
that he became the source of eternal salvation. Once Jesus went obediently through the suffering of the cross, once he learned obedience by actually experiencing the suffering of the cross, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation. Nothing is in Jesus' way now. He is the eternal salvation, the source of eternal salvation for everyone who obeys. The source of life is now completely open. Why? Because Jesus has actually gone to the cross and died the death that he needed to die if he was to open the way of salvation for sinners like you and me. And so he has been made perfect to be the source of eternal salvation. How else was Jesus made perfect for a particular role? By experiencing suffering at the cross. What was the other role he had to perform? Was given to us there in verse 9 as well. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And then in verse 10, and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Once made perfect through suffering, Jesus was qualified for the role of the high priesthood in the order of Melchizedek. Once Jesus offered that sacrifice of himself as high priest, he offered himself on the cross for sinners, he could definitely be called high priest. Jesus isn't a priest who simply knows how to offer a sacrifice for sin. Jesus is a high priest who does offer a sacrifice for sins. There's a big difference there. And that is what the author is trying to get at by saying Jesus was once made perfect. Jesus is high priest because he does offer sacrifice for sin. And that was his own life at the cross for yourself and for me. Jesus is indeed made perfect for those roles because of what he'd done. And so the author of Hebrews is not trying to disparage Jesus here. In fact, we see that the author of Hebrews is trying to exalt Jesus by saying that Jesus learned obedience and was made perfect. He hasn't said that Jesus was disobedient. He simply said Jesus learned obedience. And he hasn't said that Jesus was imperfect. He's simply saying that he was made perfect, as in he became even more perfect by what he did at the cross. And so then he is qualified for his roles to be the source of eternal salvation and be a high priest. Jesus is not someone who sits in an office all day daydreaming about work and thinking about work and never actually does anything. Jesus is someone who steps up and learns obedience through suffering and is then made perfect. Jesus is fully qualified to be the source of eternal salvation and Jesus is fully qualified to be high priest in order of Melchizedek. Jesus gets things done. That is what the author is trying to say here, that Jesus does things. He doesn't just talk about them. He doesn't just think about them. Jesus does things. I love that line that's become very popular today. It's um, getting things done. There's a book that's um, snowballed on the internet and I found very influential in my life as well. And it's called the GTD, Getting Things Done, um, Productivity Way of, um, of Living. And it's really helpful. And we see that in Jesus' life here. He is someone who gets things done. 
So then the question is, okay, this is what he's saying about Jesus, but how does this apply to me? What is the lesson for me to get from this text? Well, that brings me to my third main point this morning. You need to learn obedience to be qualified for salvation. You need to learn obedience to be qualified for salvation. The text has told us, verse 9 has told us, that Jesus Christ has become the eternal, the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him, for all. It's a wonderful statement there, that it's for all. The salvation that Jesus Christ brings of eternal life in heaven, life after the grave, a great resurrection hope, is for all, not for simply men. Not simply for women, not for rich people, not for poor people, not for Jews only, not for Gentiles only. It's for all who obey him. If you want to receive eternal life, then you must be somebody who obeys Jesus Christ. It is available to all who obey him. And so like Jesus needed to learn obedience and actually do what God has asked of him, so do you. It's not good enough for you to simply know what God requires and never actually do it. You need to obey Jesus. Now what what has God asked you to do? What has God told you to do? What has Jesus told you to do as God's son? Well, it's to believe in him. To believe that Jesus Christ died for you. John 6, 29 says, and this is Jesus speaking in John chapter 6, the work of God is this. The work of God is this. What is it? To believe in the one he has sent. To believe in the one he has sent. If you want eternal salvation, you must trust in Jesus Christ as your saviour. You must trust that he died at the cross. You must do it. You mustn't just know that you need to trust in Jesus Christ. You must actually do it. Because it's insufficient to say, I know all about God's will, without ever actually doing God's will. Because we see that with the Israelites, just back in chapter 3 and chapter 4, which we looked at many, many weeks ago, where these Israelites were taken out of Egypt and told by God what they needed to do, And then what happened to them? Well, they all died in the desert. Why did they die in the desert? Well, we read just back in chapter 3, verse 16 and following. Go back with me. Chapter 3, verse 16, page 1186, just the other page in your church Bibles there. Verse 16 of Hebrews chapter 3. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he, that's God, angry 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were, that's the Israelites, were not able to enter because of their unbelief. They did not trust in God as they should have. And so we need to believe ourselves. And that's what the author goes on to say in chapter 4, verse 1, following on. 
Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, God still has this. If you trust in him, you can have eternal salvation. It still stands. Let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel, the good news, preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine the message with faith. Now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. These people heard the good news just as you have heard it today. You have heard that you need to trust in God for eternal salvation. Are you going to combine that knowledge that you have heard with obedience, with faith? Are you going to trust Jesus Christ with your soul today? Are you going to be like Jesus who knew what God's will was but didn't stop there? He actually did God's will. Or are you going to be someone who knows what God requires of you, that you need to commit your life over to him, but don't actually do it? Well, then these words here are not for your comfort. These words that Jesus Christ is the source of eternal salvation. Think of eternity, what that means. On and on and on for all, for all time. It just goes on and on and on. Salvation for all time. If you do not obey him, if you do not obey Jesus and trust in him, then this is no comfort to you because you do not have eternal salvation. And I pray that's none of you that are here today. I pray that you're not like the Israelites who in their unbelief fell in the desert and never entered the rest. I pray that all of you hear this good news, that Jesus Christ is the source of eternal salvation because he has willingly gone to the cross and died the death that you deserve for your sins, that he has opened a way for you to access God. And when you hear that, you trust him. You don't trust in anything else for when you die. You trust that you'll be safe because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Let us come before our God now. Let us speak with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what this part of your word teaches us about Jesus Christ and his obedience to you, that he was so willing to do your will that he experienced death on the cross for our sins, that the wrath that we deserve for our sin was poured out upon him as a sacrifice for sin. And if we will simply obey him by trusting that he died for us, then we can have eternal salvation. We pray that we may be like Jesus Christ and not simply know what you require of us, but do what you require. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.